Hello, folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast. I'm Theory. And I'm Sense. And today we decided that we would bite off more than we could chew and talk about race. I've got my notes prepped. We're going to talk about the 100-yard dash, uh, swimming races, foot races, horse racing. What is the land speed velocity of an unladen uh, Norwegian runner? 42. <laughs> you, you, Wow, you dug that up. Well, I'll tell you what. As, as happy as I am that you have all those stats, instead, let's today focus on, like, race in America and, you know, the relationship between the black peoples and the white peoples and the Spanish peoples. And oh, boy, all I'm those woefully peoples. unprepared, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and qualify this and say, if you really want to enjoy this episode, uh, you might want to go back and listen to episode number eight. On postmodernism, because we're going to be talking a lot about uh, social constructs and, uh, you know, lived experience and personal point of views and, and all that stuff. But before we jump into the episode proper, uh, since why don't you give us a little background on why we're even doing this episode today? And, so uh, yeah, all jokes ahead. aside, this this episode came about as a result of a conversation I had with a friend of mine around the dinner table. Um, and things often get political in those conversations. And we, we happen to start talking about race. And I thought in the middle of the conversation, like, whoa, put the brakes on this. Let's have this conversation on the podcast. So uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce our uh, our guest, a uh, member of the High and Honored Mad Militia, hailing from Lexington, Kentucky. He is the front man of Somebody Gotta Say This Shit uh, and Somebody Gotta Say This Shit.com. He goes by many names, among them Jafar, Irk de Nerve, the Witch Doctor, uh, a man I'm proud to call my brother, Laron. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. Peace, human family. Peace, sense. Peace theory. Thank you for having me on the show. Hey, Always so, welcome. Uh, yeah, we're going to take another stab. At uh, having a guest on the show and not uh, and not mangling, huh? That's the plan for today. <laughs> no, but um, but I, I love the idea that um, where this episode came from because it came uh, from the two of you guys just just having a discussion around the table. And one of the things that you know we we've, we've harped on and said that we set out to do with this show is to show people how to have tough conversations. And when you're talking about race, specifically in America. I don't know if there is a tougher conversation. There's there's a few out there that can, you know, creep up on it. But I in, in when we were preparing for this show, one of the things I wanted to highlight is that uh, Great Britain has an 85 percent uh, white population, whereas the United States of America has a 61 percent un- uh, white population. OK, this we very much are unique uh, compared to. To the rest of the world in in having to you know sort out how this how this all fits together and how we move forward you know right so uh i think if we're gonna do this though uh you have to start kind of at the basics like what is race what's the definition of race yeah and you know i asked uh i asked Laurent that and he sent me back uh some historical like the etymology of right. the word and i thought it might be fun to kind of walk through the origins of the word, um, where it came from, and kind of where we stand now. Because, um, you know, understanding uh, the history can help shed light on on the present oftentimes. Absolutely. So one of the earliest definitions of race uh, is a competition between runners, horses, vehicles, boats, etc., to see which is the fastest in covering a set course. Um, you know, obviously, we're, we're racing. Um the meaning, the act of running, this is from the early 14th century. It's a, you know, a contest of speed was first recorded in uh, the 1500s. Um, so we kind of progress 
And at the same time, this idea was coming about that a race was a group of people with a common occupation. Right. Um, and then later on in the 1500s, we saw that turn to, you know, a common generation of people. Mm. Um, by the 1560s, we were seeing the meaning as a tribe, a nation, or people regarded as of common stock um, that evolved into people of common descent. Um, from the Middle French race, uh, earlier than that, Raza, uh, which was a race, breed, lineage, or family. Uh, that's by the 16th century. Um, the modern meaning some people hold as one of the great divisions of mankind based on physical peculiarities. That's from 1774. And I think, uh, you know, nowadays, at least Merriam-Webster says uh, race is a family, tribe, people or nation belonging to the same stock or a class or kind of people unified by shared interests, habits or characteristics. Hmm. So that's an even, you know, even broader term. And you I know, think when you bring that up uh, out the gate, it kind of makes me wonder, is there a chance? I mean, is it is it like a a just a ling, linguistic curiosity or coincidence or is there a chance that the idea that the definition of the word race existed as a competition before we we moved it over into talking about sets of people? And what impact did the idea that it's a competition have on that how did it how did it skew the way we look at sets of people is the idea of of race itself um okay you have to give an idea you have to give a name to an idea and we know that the idea of race came from um started off dogmatic in in um in this inception and transcends <clears throat> into uh er, the early sciences um early western uh ideas of science uh like folk taxonomy um which basically separates uh all species on this planet uh, into uh categories and divisions but it meets a uh, folk taxonomy meets a challenge when it attempts to do this with uh, human beings and which ultimately led to its debunking. So, um, so like scientifically, you know, we, we, we made divisions of humans. What we were thinking was based on like genetic uh, variations and things. But when we studied it in depth, we found, uh, wait, there's a lot less differences here than we thought. For example, we, we classify a, a brown squirrel and a gray squirrel, you know, based on their genetic characteristics. But when we put humans into the equation, the genetic variation just isn't there mm. to yeah. make that racial classification. Exactly. And then you would have to ask yourself, so what is race? You know, what in, 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 in it, that context, what is race when it comes to dealing with uh, individuals and collective groups of people, uh, uh, human beings? Right. And um, if you can't break it down scientifically, you know, like you've already defined the the, the etymology of the word, you know, it is, and 
if you look at how we play out, how race plays out in today's modern society, it, it, it's more like the mod. It's, it's more like the the base definition, like the original it, definition. Yeah, exactly. Of, We're competing. Competition. It is a competition, and it's it's a who's better than who thing, you know. And I'm better than you, and oh, you're better, you know. And, and it goes on and on, and and we see the competition being lived out. Right. But if we look at it uh, scientifically, it it has no it has no relevancy. You know what I'm saying? It, there is no biological proxy that makes the idea of race relevant. Right. So you well, would have to have a, a a platform for that. Well, just to back you up on that point, uh, I pulled a couple uh, uh, quotes here. Uh, this is from the American Association of Physical Anthropologists, and they say, uh, generally the traits used to characterize a population are either independently inherited or show only varying degrees of association with one another within each population. Therefore, the combination of these traits in an individual very common, uh, very commonly deviates from the average combination in the population. This fact renders untenable the idea of discrete races made up chiefly of typical representatives. So basically what they're saying is race, as far as science is concerned, um, is it's, it's useless. Right. Um, I, I read somewhere that uh, there is more um, right now in this room between you and me and Leron, there is more genetic commonality than there is between me and a white man in England. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There, there's um, there's even a possibility that one of one of the one of the four in this room could be possibly kin or related. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there's a strong possibility through uh through a long lineage or or even modern, you know, but genetically we are all connected. Genetically we are all family. Genetically we uh there is no division, you know, we that is our commonality. But so just from what you read, you know, from the American Association of Physical Anthropologists that right there alone lets you know that, you know, race as an idea has no legs in the, uh, in the uh, arena of science. Mm -hmm. So what arena would you put race <laughs> well, into? Well, where race all of a sudden, the idea of race, especially along skin color lines, has an incredibly large number of legs is the socio-political arena. Mm. When we're talking about politics and we're talking about uh, whipping people up for an agenda, um, you know, race becomes incredibly useful because what you do is you get to separate people who were, or you get to include people who were once separate ethnic groups into one large group and, and pander to them all at once for, I mean, you look at, you look at whiteness, for example, and, and, you know, whiteness isn't, uh, my, my Scandinavian heritage or my Irish heritage, um, or my English heritage, uh, whiteness now becomes this, this large encompassing thing that, um, that includes all those ethnicities exactly. and the same yeah. goes over, for blackness. Over I, time, it became an amalgamation of, of, of all of those, uh, national and ethnic, uh, 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 identities being associated with whiteness via by, uh, indoctrination or, uh, just, uh, willful acceptance of, of that terminology. 
And like you was about to say, the same would apply to uh, so-called blacks. The the black identity in in in, uh, in um in modern America is is placed upon you or, or an individual simply because of of the way they look. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. So, in other words, you're not a you're not a Nigerian. Well, you, exactly my point. You you're know? not embracing your Somalian heritage or your you know any of your any of your actual heritage. You're just lumped under the under the term blackness. Well, we, we asked. Okay, we asked the natives of the continent uh, continent of Africa when they come here to America to. Uh, seek citizenship we as so-called blacks in america immediately expect them to accept the classification mm-hmm. of 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 blackness you know and everything sociopolitical that comes with that <laughs> right. you know what i'm saying yeah. even even if you are the uh, uh, uh experience wise devoid uh, of of that, you know what I'm saying? If if you're if you're from Nigeria, and, and let's say you're a well-to-do family from Nigeria, you know what I'm saying, and you have a uh, uh, a well-to-do family, and you decide your family decides to come over here, you know, um, in America it is automatically assumed that you know that Nigerian family would accept their classification of of blackness here in America because what other i mean i think i think what you're what you're getting at really illustrates where race can even um i mean i i acknowledge that race is a social uh political construct but even on that basis sometimes it fails and i think mm. uh if if you want a a perfect clear cut example it's look at jewish people you know, so so we have uh, white people who are described as Jewish, people who are typically Arab who are described as Jewish. They're treated like a race. They're treated like, you know, uh, an ethnicity. You have uh, anti-Semitism. You have, you know, obviously the Holocaust. And and at that point, we weren't worried about, you know, this quality of, of skin color necessarily. We were using that religion to then categorize uh, uh, uh a section of people. And then we were talking about bloodlines and, and stuff like that. And, you know, impurity, but um, but it spawns out of, I mean, it spawns out of a religion, a common religion that they hold. So, I mean, like the, the idea that you have, um, this segment of people and this other segment of people who are alike or disalike as much as anybody else on earth, all of a sudden, by virtue of the religion that they believe in, um, they're all this one way, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it's and, and kind of what you're saying there with the, the immigrants, like the idea that a Nigerian family is going to come here and automatically understand, drop the, their ethnic and cultural identity. Yeah, yeah, like whatever they brought with them, they're 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 going to drop that and immediately understand the inner workings of what's going on here. And, Maybe and, "drop" is a bad know. word. Maybe I could say. Uh, their cult- their ethnic and cultural identity has to be usurped by blackness. Mm. You know, if okay, if you're if you're Nigerian, keep your ethnic 
culture, uh, keep your ethnic uh, uh, lineage and your culture, but at the same time, you have to tie blackness to that. Now, um, then we have a problem because, first of all, we, we have to say that you know, there's there's more substance, there's there's uh there's more foundation by uh being from Nigeria and, and calling yourself Nigerian. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's very little substance in 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 being from born in America and calling yourself black. And why is that? Because there is no continent of black of black there is no <laughs> continent of white and 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 the thing is and you can say uh, uh you know the continent of africa represents all of black people well we have a problem because there are nation states within this continent of africa that was well established before the so-called black person here in America ever accepted black as an identity. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to look, 1969 is when we could basically say that so-called black people here in America collectively accepted the idea and the terminology of 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 black. It's like know? a it's like a unifying it's something that's superseded and unified. This is what them. we're going to yeah. call ourselves. Right, right. You know? Um, and what was it before that? I mean... Well, so, you would have to go back to uh, Negro. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know... Which the, ironically the, the, is black and Spanish. Or Portuguese. Right. You know? And and the thing is, that that was a, the notion that was placed on us. And, you know, over time... It, it, it settled with us to where we started exchanging that that de- def, that definer amongst each other. Black is the first term, for better or for worse, uh, that was accepted by us. Black in the English vernacular, you know, uh, was accepted. By so-called black people here in America during a time where they asserted self-identity, you know, but before that it was Negro, and and, and then briefly African American, yeah, and and uh, uh, Afro, Afro Latino, Afro uh, uh, Afro Mexicano. Um, which are all descriptors that involve some sort of cultural heritage or which some root, sort of ethnic heritage. Which roots back to Africa, the continent of Africa. Right. And right. to me, like African-American has some sort of, you know, national identity with it. Well, not national, but it has some sort of, uh, you know, global identity with it. Whereas black has has less description. You know, you're carrying along less with it. So now all of a sudden... Black just means dark skinned. Well, actually, uh, African America, uh, excuse me, African American denotes dual citizenship, (laughs) (laughs) which is which is a topic that um, which is strangely 
um, skipped over by most so-called black nationalists. See, black nationalists would have you uh, accept the term black and somehow have have you also in turn denounce calling yourself African-American. Why, why is that? <clears throat> because they want you to uh, erase all claim to America. See, it's okay to claim Africa. It's definitely okay from a black nationalist, pro-black standpoint to uh, accept Africa. Even if some of those African nation states don't accept you. But to accept yourself as American, now we have a problem because somehow American in this modern uh, definition is uh, completely uh, uh, tied to whiteness and not at all supposed to be linked with uh, black pride. black power or uh, black nationalism. So it's funny you say that because to me, um, being American, one of the first, one of the first um, memories I have of like, you know, a strong tie to this country was Schoolhouse Rocks, man. We were, you know, the great American melting pot. I think I saw that when I was like nine or something. Mm-hmm. So to me, there never was a personal connection between you know Americanism and whiteness, like it just it didn't exist. Um, and granted, I you know I wasn't I wasn't living in the hood, and uh, I wasn't black, so I you know people weren't racist against me. I lived in a little bubble where you know racism uh, didn't didn't really affect me all that much. But very much growing up, um, I thought that America was the great melting pot. You know that 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 blackness and and whiteness and brownness and you know, all these cultures were, were intermingling happily and successfully uh, to the, you know, the, the benefit of our society. Um, well, that was at least the idea, right? Like that's, that's at least what we were, you know, the idea that we were striving for. And I'll say that I think um, regardless of what labels we put on it, regardless of who puts the labels on it, um, I think that one of the things that we're going to have to recognize is that most of these labels are going to fall by the wayside as the the America gets increasingly and increasingly biracial and right? older, um, yeah. as as America gets older, it, like you mentioned, in 2010, 64% of Americans identified as white. Mm-hmm. Now that number is down 21%. No kidding. From 50 years earlier, you know. Yeah. Right. So it, it lets you know the the. Um, uh, via integration, uh, uh, immigration, and integration, uh, th- these ideas are going to change. So the melting pot, the melting pot that America, uh, 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 the idea of a melting pot that America had, is going to come to fruition later in 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 time. Well, weren't but you telling we me that still, by 2060 we're projected to have uh, 
50-50 representation between white and non-white. That's yes. not yes. really 50-50. No. That's yes. <laughs> no. I mean, if we're really going to break it down, we, we need to go like Irish, you know, Scandinavian. Yeah, versus. but if, if, we, if we're just <laughs> breaking it down, <laughs> if we're just breaking it down along just the racial lines that is uh, given to us by Google, it, it is 50% of Americans will be split down the middle as far as racial lines go. So it would be 50% so-called whites and 50% other. So I got to, I got to say I gotta, for the listeners here, I I've heard, I've heard you talk about it before, but you keep saying so-called white and so-called black. Why is that? It is something that I, for real, it took me a long time to, to get to the point to get there. I, like most Americans, battle with the white and 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 black issue. Uh, I don't I, I don't see how you live in America and don't you know uh, unless you're just completely oblivious to it. Now, no matter what side of the fence you stand on, you're dealing with it, you know. And um, but we have to recognize that the fence wasn't placed by us, you know. Um, Do you consider yourself a black man? I consider myself a so-called black man. Uh-huh. Because people will call you that. Yeah, and, I consider myself a so-called and the black man. Exists and uh, I make a I make it a point to say so-called black man and so-called white man, so-called black woman, so-called white woman, and um, the reason why is because I completely understand that race is irrelevant outside of our conversation when it comes if it's not within the confines of the socio-political construct right you know so now, there's context involved and yeah, right. now, on an interpersonal basis you're a so-called black man but if we're talking about a system of oppression that is set up white and black as opposing uh as opposing groups yeah, as a, then yeah. then we have to acknowledge those to, to deconstruct them. Yeah, right? exactly. We have to acknowledge the, the construct of racism to understand it. It's just like the, the fact that, you know, um, I, can, I can say a white woman, white man, white kid, white child, not be considered racist at all. As soon as I say yellow kid, Yellow woman, yellow man, <laughs> yellow child. You bring up an interesting point because I'm a racist. When I when I looked into the racial taxonomy, like scientifically, when this idea was being developed, we were split into black, white, yellow, and red. Right? Exactly. And, and I don't see any Asians anywhere in the world bannering under the idea of yellowness. Unless they have some type of socio-political agenda. Where is that? Does that now, exist if, for the yellow people I, or for I, the red I'm people? I'm not going... I, I, this, I would leave that as, a, um, as homework for your listeners. Okay. Look up Google... The socio-political group... Use DuckDuckGo, please. Activist group... Asian group that use the word yellow in their name. 
Okay, homework for the listeners. Uh, it's homework for me too, because <laughs> I'm totally unaware. But it, it makes you scratch your head, right? It makes you scratch your head if, and we've already established that the scientific uses for race are non-existent. But if we are playing the race game now, and and yellow people and red people aren't playing, why play it all? Why are why are we playing it? Exactly. You know, what are the reasons for for us playing it? And and I wonder, I mean, as a white person, do I do I gain any benefit from being white? You know, sure. It's totally out of my control. Um, Do I give any white people benefit for their whiteness? No, (laughs) no, absolutely not. If I if I meet you, uh, we are on a you know, we are on a level basis. Uh, Of course, I don't have any power. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe my (laughs) Well, see, we we talked about this before. And uh, what I would say is. Whiteness comes with a privilege only if there are racists whom identify with the classif- the, the terminology of white whom also work in places of power. Okay, so I think that's I think that's an interesting point to kind of segue here because I think if we're going to talk about racism we need to establish a definition of racism, much like we talked about the definition of race. Um, and good luck. Yeah, I know. Cause right now we've got a whole group of people who are, who are kind of changing the definition of racism. Um, and you know, we've talked about this before that the idea that racism is, is prejudice plus power. Um, so you cannot be, if you're not in a position of power, you can't be racist, but, I think context plays a big part in that. For example, uh, I was chased out of a neighborhood on my bike when I was 13. Um, I was driving through MLK and, or riding through MLK and, you know, they started running after me, grabbed my bike, said, get out of my hood, white boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like that was racist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a white person, can I not, you know, can, can that, is that, is that not racist? Question <laughs> for you, you know, is that racist? <gasps> okay. Now, if there are any so-called black listeners of this podcast and you're listening to this particular podcast right now, I'm going to need you to have a seat. (laughs) Take a deep breath, because what I'm about to say may shock you. Yes, so-called black people can be racist. Well, you heard it from the man himself. Case closed. I want you. I want you to put echoes. I want you to put echoes behind the racist when I say that black people can be racist. 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 Awesome. I need you to understand this. Race is an idea. The idea of race is just that. Ideas are adopted. Ideas are accepted via uh, manipulation or natural acceptance. It is what it is. You can be racist if you are practicing the sociopolitical construct of race. The very act of calling yourself Black 
is being racist, whether you know it or not, because why you're using a racist term to define yourself. The- I tend, I tend to agree with you. And, and honestly, I feel like if I could, I would happily drop the label white. If, if I could walk away from whiteness, uh, I would in a heartbeat. Now, if I was black, maybe not so much, uh, because it happens to, to bring power to the oppressed. You know, it is a, it's a banner, but that right there to rally under and, uh, and, and increase your chances of, of gaining power. Right. So, so for whiteness to be a banner, you know, whiteness doesn't really need any help at this point. (laughs) I don't think, you know, but but in 60 years, maybe, but what, uh, what cost at what cost? Do you I know, drop my at what cost do I drop my whiteness or at uh, what cost do you drop your blackness? Because ex- the what, costs are different. Exactly. So my thing is this: if 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 there is if there is legislation in place for you to drop your whiteness, and there is no legislation in place for me to drop my blackness on the on just be a virtue of well it makes them feel good <laughs> you know it, it makes them feel good it gives them it gives them power when they have none. then then by that blackness is symbolic sure symbolic to what is blackness a natural or a social, uh, not natural, a sociopolitical antithesis to whiteness? Because we understand that whiteness, the idea of whiteness had, had, had centuries to grow. Right. You know, blackness is, 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 a, is 70 years old at, at most. And, and came about largely as a response, like you said, as an antithesis to whiteness and white supremacy. Exactly. Exactly. So I guess that's what I'm saying is as, as the, on the side of the person being attacked, as the, as the side of prey, if you will, versus mm. predator, there's a much higher cost to drop your blackness because adopting blackness has allowed uh, a banner to be raised on behalf of of a, of a group that would ordinarily be fractured into smaller groups, right? Versus, I mean, versus what though? Like clarify, I'm not quite following what you're saying. Like clarify it's a cost versus what? Well, uh, I'm saying just verse, verse a white man, me, me as a white guy saying, Oh, I'll drop my whiteness, Mm. uh, has, has no cost associated with it. I have nothing to lose. Right. I'm already on the winning team. Right. Right. Versus the cost of a black man saying, uh, I'm no longer going to consider myself black anymore. He stands to lose uh, the support of the black community, um, you know, as a whole and any political uh, support, any political um, uh, energy that may help his cause individually. Right. Whereas me as a white man saying, nah, tomorrow I'm, I'm just going to decide not to be white. Nothing happens to me. Yeah. You know, I'm well, not yeah, ostracized. I mean- I'm not. And and to do it like I don't know, and even to do it in that in that flip sort of way. I mean, that's kind of I don't know. To me, that's kind of a non-starter. Like you you can't. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Like we'd all we'd all like to to do that, especially when we're catching shit or whatever. Some people 
wouldn't even consider doing that like ever in a million years. They're, they're happy, uh, you know, in their whiteness and, and the way that they lord above other people. You know what I mean? Like, so it, it exists. But I think you, you can't, we, everyone, everyone has to understand that it, it doesn't, um, you can, you can use it um, to identify like broad societal problems and stuff. But interpersonally, mm. like what are you using black for? What are you using white for? It, like, then, sure. If, if, exactly, if as the black community, exactly. as the black community or the white community, if you want to uh, get together and talk about uh, police brutality and you want to protest against something, sure. But Tuesday, or underfunded when, schools. But when I go to, you know, up to Kroger's to get a pack of gum, there is no context there where it's going to be useful. Right. You but know I, what I, mean? I think, least, I think you're making my point because, because whiteness is not typically used um, as a, as a banner to rally behind to say, let's increase school funding mm-hmm. in this, in this poor white school district. Right. On the other hand, for the black community, it absolutely is used as a banner to rally behind, to increase funding to poor black communities because they are the ones that have historically been oppressed uh, by our system. Mm-hmm. So, Which so that's, goes back that's to- what I'm illustrating is, is. Well, but that gets to the heart of this episode, I think. And that's, do you have to quote unquote, walk away uh, from your, your, your blackness or your whiteness to achieve it? I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, I, at least in, in my view, I don't think the idea is to walk away from it. It exists. It's always going to be there. But understand that it has no more power than what you give it. I tend to disagree. I don't think it will always exist. I don't think it will always be there. I think well, eventually, yes. on a long enough timeline. long enough timeline. I'm yeah. talking about in, in our foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah and right our, now. Sure, right our now. generation and the next couple generations after, it yeah. will be a thing. Look, if you call yourself... But if, only if, if we decide that it will if be. If you identify yourself with the racial term... Of being white, just know that that is a racial term. If you didn't identify, you're playing the racist yeah, game. You're playing right. the racist game, and if it's a socio political game, then by all means, it's a socio political game. But that's what it is. Now, uh, uh, by virtue of it being political, it may have it may have legs for a very 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 long time. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the fact that uh, 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 the uh, uh, the political is 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 the the solid within this uh, equation, and the race is the gas. You know, is 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 it's not really tangible. You know what I'm saying? But the solid is political. Now, the thing is, people use racial ideas to drive political uh, agendas. Sure, you know. So that's why that's why you have uh, uh, in America groups of so-called black people rallying behind the identity of black because of the identity that they know exists. It's like you saying that you 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 can comfortably just drop the identity of white and there's no repercussion there's no repercussions behind it and and, and it's, it's understandable because you un- also understand that there's there are people that are not 
There are people oh, absolutely. in high places of power that will not. Absolutely. In right. fact, uh, on Twitter, I said something to that effect to some racist white nationalist that had posted some sort of hogwash garbage uh, that I was shutting down. Um, you know, I said, what whiteness? Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I don't even, you know, I don't even abide by that. And he said, he said something about me deserving a helicopter ride. And when the race war started, I'd be the first one to be hanging from the Mm. helicopter. Like Mm. (laughs) it devolved real quick. So yes, those people are out there, but that's what I'm saying is the, the harder we cling to the identity of whiteness and blackness, the more entangled in, in the trap that we get. And the trap is that it's not, it's not any more real than we've made it. Right. And, and, and we can continue on and make it less real or we can make it more real. Well, that's that's the problem is that right now we've got two, um, you know, two wings, I guess, of the political spectrum that are actively reinforcing it. On one hand, uh, mm. you've got the all right mm. and, uh, you know, members of the extreme right who are literally out there calling for an ethno state. Yes. I mean, straight up and down, like bananas, absurd shit, uh, calling for a white ethno state. They're they're citing, uh, you know, junk junk science or good science that they've uh, taken way out of context, and trying to make the case. Um, in, in some in some places, you know, there's there's a guy out there, Richard Spencer, and uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's very much. Uh, you know, in, in my opinion, at the end of the day, he's very much so a, a fascist in the vein of Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Um, but then there's, uh, to me, those people, we need to talk about them. We need to raise awareness about them. But he, he's absurd. You know, I think I think one of his latest speaking engagements, there was like nine people in the audience. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's That's not, to me, that's not the worrisome part. Here's the worrisome part. There are people out there making the argument. They're taking the same stats, the same science, the same, uh, you know, junk, and they're putting it together that Richard Spencer is, and they're saying, hey, I, I don't bear any animosity towards black people or Spanish people. I'm just saying that we can't live together. You know, it's, it's, I'm not mad at them. I want them to thrive over there. Right. You know, and, and that's uh, out of my neighborhood. It's kind of the same stance that, uh, 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 so-called white nationalist uh, Jared Taylor has right, right, and and I say to hell with that. You know what I'm saying? That's it's awful. But what's scary about it is that you don't actually actively have that component of hate, but you've got that reinforcement coming from the right, and then over here on the far left, I, I don't know how you look at some of this stuff that's spinning out. Whether it's uh, you know the the diversity training and microaggressions, which we'll touch on here shortly. <laughs> Or, or even this definition of uh, racism, actually, that we just brought up just a minute ago. I understand that the concept of, of power and, and prejudice going hand in hand. That's how we get is, systemic racism. Right. Well, and it's it's important. It's, it's a unique um, thing that black people in America have to deal with, um, you know, even uh, to, to varying extents all people of color have to deal with. Um, and, it, and it needs to be talked about. However, at the same time, like every human being on earth is capable of racial prejudice, right? Absolutely. You know, it, discriminating based on race. And if you do that, if you engage in that act, 
you are in fact a racist. Even still. So what I'm what I yeah, want to say is we're at that point we're playing a word game. If you come out as as happened for years, and I think this really, I, I think the original you know power versus prejudice definition came out sometime in the mid '80s. It I don't know exactly how it filtered um, from the intellectual circles into the, the the general population. I can tell you the first time I saw it, um, hardcore was like 2013. Right. So we're talking about five years ago and it does two things that are really terrible. On one hand, you're basically telling white people that the sky is green. Right. If you're if if white people say, well, you know, well, that guy's acting racist. Let's let's say. uh, Farrakhan, for instance, I think Farrakhan was just in the news recently for saying some just awful and deplorable shit about Jewish people. And so if you say, well, he's not racist uh, because he's black. Now you've got white people going, what? And they're like, well, no, see, the definition of race. Well, dude, the common usage of racist for the last hundred years has been something different. And if you for you to just change it, that's crazy. But then on the other hand, we're also telling, you know, black people that hate that you have in your heart. It's lesser. It's not the same as what the white people have. It, so to some degree, it's acceptable. Right. It's justified. You were you were transgressed upon. So the fact that you want to do them harm or that you think less of them or whatever, that's okay to some degree. And, and not even to some degree, to a large degree. To a large fact. degree. And I think what is that, what are those two things going to do but build animosity and 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 create more division and then basically the the tone or the um uh, the response that you get from the people who are thrown around this definition of power and prejudice is, is you know, well, you just don't understand. Like yeah. you, you don't understand the deep, you know, because you're white, sections of in da, fact. Da, 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 da. you know, and uh, say what? And usually because you're white, if you're, if you're a white person <laughs> yeah. saying it, the, yeah. the answer is, well, you're, you're white. Therefore you don't understand. Yeah, because you just say, don't well, understand. well, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm play along. Um, if you sit on, if you're standing on top of the mountain, if if, if you're the victor, you're not really worried about, you know, uh, lions, lions are not concerned with the cryings of lambs. Right. You know? Right. Uh, so it, it when when, it, uh, basically when we talk about power and prejudice, it, it okay. Okay. Black nationalists, uh, those with black pride, especially on social media, um, would tell you that racism is exactly that. Prejudice, power and prejudice, prejudice and power. Okay, well, um, if you have the power to uh, run a young boy because of uh, of the color of the pigmentation of his skin, uh, and and that young boy is running in fear for his life, and he's running out of a neighborhood while you're screaming or yelling, uh, what we would now still consider racist. Uh, uh, racist, you know what I'm saying, degradations. I felt pretty powerless in that situation. But I'm sure that those uh, uh, 
so-called young black boys felt powerful, if only temporarily. Sure. Mm. So what happens when a black nationalist group grows bigger and snags some some real political power and snags some real political power will they become the enemy that they claimed that they're fighting well and further, will they become if we're if we're going by that definition then does it swap now are black people able all of a sudden to be racist against white people well all it takes is power and prejudice Right. Sprinkle a little power, sprinkle a little prejudice. You got yourself a power of racism. Anyone can be racist. Anyone right. can be racist to say that you you can't to the the idea is being is being propagated through the interwebs that so-called black people cannot be racist because they have no mechanism in play to enact their racism. Well, what happens when that mechanism is built? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that. Then will you accept? That simply means to me that black people are incapable of uh, strengthening or instituting systemic racism. That, that's all that means. It, it doesn't mean that they're incapable of racism. Look, look for example, uh, we have a friend who. Uh, you know, no, moved no. to Asia. They're Wait incapable Asia. of it because they have n- not the political means, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, right. That's that's the the argument. Yeah, yeah. You can't um, holistically, I'll put it that way, uh, institute systemic racism. You can in in small cases, small examples. Uh, for instance, what is the if 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 the Baltimore City Council and the Baltimore Mayor and the Baltimore chief of police and the Baltimore fire department, if, if, or a chief of the fire department, uh, if they're all black, what's going on there? Like what's going on for a white person in that city? Now, granted there is a government that supersedes it, but at least in the city policies, in the city ordinances, can they institute, uh, you know, a, a small scale system of race? Surely they'd have the power to, right? Surely they'd have the power to, as I was getting ready to say, our friend who moved to Taiwan, basically you're telling me that while he's here, he's capable of being racist. But when he goes to Taiwan, where he is very much so in the minority, <laughs> now all of a sudden he is incapable of being racist. See, we've gotten so far away from what racist means. Mm. From what ra- I don't give a damn what, uh, I wish I could remember her name, but this lady in the 80s, whatever she defined it as, I, I don't give a damn. What racist means is a person who discriminates on the basis of race. Right. That's that's what it means. I tend to agree. Yeah. And, that's, and so racism is discriminating on the basis of race. Yeah. I, and, and when that discrimination becomes physical. What do when, you mean? When you... When you uh, Assert power physically. Hmm. No power and prejudice. You, you, you to okay to see say, that becomes a well, different thing than just racism to me. Well, no, I think he's what he's saying is, I mean, is is power solely limited to politics? No, I mean, power comes from very you know no. a variety of places. Right, exactly. And my thing is, okay, if I can't have this form of power, if I can't, if I can't assert this form of power on you. I'm going to go to 
old school. I'm going to assert this form of power on you. And it, it may not be a, a, a mass community that I can touch, but I can touch you. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's power. And to me, and, and, and that is power at its root. You know what I'm saying? If I can, if I can, if I can, if I can, if I can force my will on you for my own agenda, yeah, I think that's the I definition am asserting of power. I am, I am totally asserting my power right, right there. And if I have prejudice behind that, how in the fuck am I not racist? Excuse my language. You are. But, yeah, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. The, to say to say that that so-called black people are incapable of being racist and that white people are innately racist is totally is is is, is bullshit. It's bullshit at its root. And you're not dealing with the problem of this socially invented construct that can be destroyed if we really analyze it. Now, the so-called black supremacists and or the so-called black nationalists would tell you that we're that, that they are at war. The, the, the black man in America is at war with, with the white man, with the white man. And that that is his enemy here in America. OK, but if we're talking about war tactics, you do. We are at this table know that sex, I've read Sun Tzu. <laughs> okay, so you know that sex is a part of sex can be used as a war tactic. Conquer, right. rape, pillage, okay, yes. so on and so okay. forth. Now, with that being said, there is an idea that out uh, uh there's an idea of the one drop rule. Have you ever heard of it? Sure. Yeah, that's the idea that uh any black genetics in your lineage makes you black or non-white. Exactly. Um, so you're no longer capable of identifying with the, you know, the group white. Listeners, feel free to go to Google and just place uh, place in the search engine one drop rule and you will see. Heck, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. So now with this rule, I can prove to you that black people are racist. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> well, the black, I, I need to quantify that. I apologize. That the so-called black nationalist is racist. Okay. And can would, be racist. But that would therefore establish that black people are capable of being racist. Which will yeah. establish that so-called black people are capable of being racist. Yes. And through sex somehow. N- now, <laughs> you're going to blow my mind here. Let me explain. Now, the one drop rule was created by the so-called black man's enemy, correct? Right. Right. Absolutely. As a means to protect whiteness. As a means to protect whiteness. Now, if the so-called pro-black or the black nationalist, extremist, black supremacist uses the one drop rule as a war tactic, check and mate. I think I see what you're getting at here. So you're saying black people have babies with, uh, with, with white people. And, and and thereby decrease the ranks of of whiteness by using sex as a tactic. I see. And shortly thereafter, there would be no more white people. By the definition of their own uh, enemies' uh, uh, classification right. rules, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So if we can turn 
every every baby. So black how does that make about one drop of blood? How does that make the black nationalist racist? Well, the black nationalists will have this rhetoric in their indoctrination tools that would say that the beautifulest, the most beautifulest woman on the planet is the so-called black woman uh-huh. and that the black man should only be with a black woman and should never find a white woman attractive. In fact, they will absolutely tell you that there are no attractive white women on the planet and we all have Instagram. <laughs> are you fucking crazy? Are you, are you fucking crazy? How would you, how, how does that even, first of all, that's not, that's how I know that that's indoctrination because no man naturally thinks like it. He right. the, whatever the, he sees the female a, form is generally attractive to regardless a, to a of who's wearing it male. the woman right. could be green guardians of the galaxy green and if she's attractive a man's <laughs> gonna try to get with her <laughs> Captain I Picard I'd, I'd turn uh, down a hot <laughs> blue chick I don't know I'm just saying I mean I obviously would I'm married but I think I think I see what you're getting at though if, if black supremacists or nationalists and, and white supremacists or nationalists uh, establish a, a chessboard, if you will. They establish a game, and part of that game is this one drop rule. Then, if you're in that circle, uh-huh. uh, you would think that black nationalists have something to gain by going out and injecting that drop, and you know, basically, at least with that by the rules. Real set, dirty. <laughs> you know, it does. But but by the rules that the the white supremacist white nationalists have accepted. You know, it's their rule by God. You you've wiped them off the map. You've taken them off the board. And so, what is the motivation? <laughs> if you have the ability to take them out, what is the motivation uh, not to go and do that? But not only is is this okay a rule that was created by uh, uh, by a so called white supremacist. This is also a rule that is adopted by black supremacists. By black supremacists, you know, mm-hmm. if if a white supremacist says that we have to keep our race pure by keeping them away from black people, and you reverse the whole, you go to the, you go to Bizarro world, and black <laughs> people are saying the same that thing that we must preserve yeah. our racial purity. How how is one racist and one and the other's not? Right. And and the idea in postmodernism says because there's no system of oppression, uh, you know, well, to oppress white I, that's people. That's not. That's the difference. That's well, not that's necessarily the postmodernism. They, oh, is but, it not? But yeah, yeah. But no. that's that's essentially something that's spun from there. But yeah, yeah. That's essentially the difference is that uh, you know black people are being oppressed. I don't I don't stand on that. Well, <laughs> I feel like it's it's still racist. Systemic racism is is separate from personal racism. And damn it, if you think that the black race should be uh, pure and to the point where like you won't intermix with would, white people, I think there's something wrong with you. I mean, I'm like, yeah, hey, hey that's kind of weird. I don't get it. Like, it's fine. Well, it's it, also what to be. What's more troublesome though is like what it what it says. Like, um, you know, we've talked about this before when we talk about like agency and stuff. <coughs> and to sit there and say that white people are inherently racist. And that black people are incapable of being racist. It begins to establish this idea that we can't climb outside of 
something that is prescribed by the color of our skin right and be anything more than that so some so trait you break that it we down, have no choice absolutely. over yeah so i mean like so what you know it, it's because oh because of the social constructs or whatever but you're still arguing that a black person can't ever do this they used That's to say pretty racist in itself they used exactly they used to say a black person couldn't ever go to law school you're just substituting <laughs> what you're saying right okay but if you if uh, so what happens when you Put when you pigeonhole yourself, right? You know, right? And and, and you and you have uh, and you use historical uh, historical actions as a means for, for to to play the victim card to, to for victimization when there's plenty of examples of achievement of success of mm-hmm. of of. of uh, Breaking the the glass ceiling, right? right. So you know we, what I'm we know that success is achievable on a personal basis. Yet, so why perpetuate the narrative that it's not? When does it when does it become collective? At what number does it become collective? Because that's a really if, good question. If, if, if individuals decide to take it upon themselves to succeed for just for the reason of succeeding. And then you start counting those people, you know. Well, I think I think it's inter- I think the answer to the question, at least, um, my whole point was, is you cannot use you cannot you cannot use you cannot play a victim in today's society and use race as and and and, and have sturdy legs with me. Well, do you, do you feel like racism is very much still a problem in America? See, and that goes back to what you just said. I think that systematic racism and white supremacy are two totally different things. Uh huh. Hmm. Well, I, I, I think I think that is kind of the nature of the question, right? Because we were saying, why would you buy into that? Why would you, you know, perpetrate that? And it's because you have to paint this image of systemic racism as all-encompassing, right? There, there are little things that chip at systemic racism. Um, there is the, uh, the situation of uh, Asian people uh, in the country, okay? Asians far and away outperform white people. Okay. And so there, there comes, you know, people have a whole slew of reasons for this and, and whatnot. Um, the black women are being admitted to college at a higher rate than okay. white men. Okay. Uh, black immigrants, uh, you know, especially like black people from the Caribbean, uh, tend to do as well, if not better than white people. Um, like so economically, economically. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So, and, and it's not always true. It's true in some cases true here. I don't, I don't want to, today is not about getting into all that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but so the point is though, when you have those things, that that overarching menace of systemic racism, the the version that they're selling fails, right? Because how can an Asian person be be doing great right. if racism is inherently coded into the or society? White supremacy and, specifically, and hey, white supremacy no, no. is encoded into everything that white people do. You know how can they allow that? How can they allow that space for that to grow? No, so that's idea. what what I want to ask you guys. What I'm interested to hear is what is your view of the nature of the systemic racism that uh, people of color will say, especially black people, uh, face in America today? What do, what do you, 
How do you think it's comprised, composed? Systemic racism specifically? Yes. I think the justice system is one is one obvious place when you have um, black populations that have been uh, historically kept down through you know various methods, redlining, et cetera, um, and you ask them to post incredibly high bail mm-hmm. um, when they've been accused of a crime, uh, bail that they may not be able to pay, um, and you sit in jail and you lose your job. Let me let me put a finer point on my question. And actually, it's interesting that you bring up the justice system because the the point that I want to, I guess the question that I'm asking you kind of touches back to something I said in that episode. When I'm asking you what is the nature of it, what I'm saying is they would have you believe that because of implicit bias or what have you, that white people are inherently racist and that there is a conglomerate of white people who mm. are writing laws mm. and, and codifying systems and stuff in designed specifically in order to hold down the black man. Right? Okay. So <laughs> I can't even walk halfway there to be honest, because <laughs> we're talking about a system of people who are actively fighting l- large amounts of white people who are very vocal, mm-hmm. vocally anti-racist. Right. Um, in the 1860s, we passed, you know, anti-discrimination laws. So if white supremacy was this, this all-powerful thing, would a white supremacist government institute anti-discrimination laws? Would Harriet Tubman's Underground Railroad be as, ex- as successful as it was <clears throat> without white abolitionists in the North? <laughs> That's a really good question. I think uh, somewhere in here fits uh, fits a John Brown, you know. Yeah. And, and the thing is, see, and this goes back to the point of defining and everyone coming together to understand racism, you know. So and, where, okay, so where so, do we get systemic racism? Back to back yeah, to no, the question. Okay, yeah, my whole thing it. is this. My whole thing is this. Systemic racism is different from white supremacy. And and this is and what I mean by that is that okay, yes, we are com- we are confronting a system of systematic racism. Mm-hmm. I can agree with you one hundred percent. Are we confronting a system of white supremacy? Yes, but to say that it controls that that systematic. Uh, that systematic racism is white supremacy is ridiculous. You right. understand what I'm saying? I, I absolutely. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. The thing is this: there are there are so-called uh, black nationalists and out there that will have you think that all white people are racist. That's absurd. Okay. There is one that I have to mention, and I, I, I'm, I'm probably going to smack myself in front of a mirror tonight because I mentioned <laughs> this guy's name, but there is a guy who calls himself King Flex. I'll give him that. That's an old school name. And he pushes the narrative 
that all so-called white people are suspected white supremacists. Suspected. <laughs> now, this causes a, a huge problem. Because as soon as you say that all white people are suspected white supremacists, or you use the term. Well, you can't prove a negative, right? Yeah, so, so if you use so the term suspected you, white supremacists, you I'm put everyone sus- in that box. Let's play a game you for a second. put every so-called white person in that box. Let's play a game for a second. I'm going to ask you uh, to prove that you're not a racist to me. I'm going to give you like three seconds to think up an answer and go. Absolutely no way to do that. <laughs> I mean, you can't. So everyone's a suspected racist and there's no, there's no way to prove that you're not. Therefore, it's a, therefore it becomes a tool of power. The only way to prove that you're not a suspected racist is through your actions. Okay. And that's just not one day. That's, Years and years and years of actions throughout and the day, and we could have and racists days. who were really, really good at hiding, and never and never made any racist actions. You know, I exactly. Mean, and, and, and and even still, you wouldn't be able to. You could have a down. non-racist person that that made statements that appeared racist, but and comedians were taken out of out of context. But or, why are comedians allowed to get on stage? And say the most racist things and get laughs. But mm. when I, you know, when I'm in a forum, there's not much laughter when we're talking about this. You well, know? in fairness, there's a there's a large uh, clapback to that right now. In fact, uh, comedians are being held accountable to the things they're saying on stage and questioned at a alarming rate right but now. But I would say comedians are more. I, I would say comedians are more brave. Uh, excuse me, comedians are have more courage than the average person. Hmm. And not just by virtue of them being on stage and performing in front of uh, large crowds of people, not by that, by the fact that they have to create the subject, the subject matter that they're going to try to make people laugh with, sure. you know, and to be a, uh, um, a political satirist. Like uh, my favorite comedian of all times, George Carlin. Uh, I knew you were going to say um, it. <laughs> Do you greatest. think we could have a George Carlin today, man? I mean, uh, in all honesty. I mean, the closest that you, the closest is Dave Chappelle, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Bill Burr. Okay, I could kind of yeah. see um, it. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're out there in their vein. I mean, he was yeah. far and away, like the way he looked at the world was completely I mean, as, as far as it goes, I mean... Uh, men, uh, comedians, men letting their fucking nuts hang and saying what the fuck they got to say. Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle, you can't get no better than that. Yeah. Uh, Slink Johnson, if you ever go on Instagram, check and your check nuts. Him, yeah, check him out, man. He, uh, uh, Corey Holcomb. Uh, there's a few, but going back to the point is is that you know we we have to put a real light to this idea. Uh, uh, of, of of race and my thing is you cannot say that all white people are racist well, because then like you said we can never as bl- as so-called black people here in america we will never be able to escape this bubble 
that 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 we're trapped in and why even try that i mean why would you even why would you even uh, uh motivate uh, uh, a so-called young black child to uh, uh fight against this system that cannot be defeated by your own words right well let me let me play devil's advocate for a second and argue for the bubble here um what is the impact of white privilege if not to create um that that racism you know i mean doesn't white privilege invariably lead to a white person being racist mm, you gotta you gotta solidify that for me uh that's about as solid as it gets <laughs> think about white privilege okay uh so it completely alters my worldview uh-huh. right the privileges that i experience as a white man and therefore uh you know whether it be subconscious or directly i place um my concerns, my worries, um, my, um, you know, people who look like me, I put them in a different position than I put black people. Okay. Now, <laughs> okay. There's something that we, that I, I, I love to talk about too. Now that you mentioned it, hmm. do you think there are levels of white privilege do you think is it is it possible that white privilege the 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 just the existence of white privilege could also hurt the white person the white male the white female yeah i'm i'm i've played my devil's advocate as long as is I'm there levels I, no, of, no, check of, privilege, of white privilege i think white privilege is horseshit I'm, I'm gonna tell you why like it exists it's a thing but the idea that people aren't capable of seeing that is why it's it's the only thing we do it with you know what i mean like we don't we don't really talk about how um raiders fans can't understand new york giants fans we don't talk about, you know what I'm saying? If you go through life, we don't talk about how uh, there's just this inherent gap of understanding between vegans and meat eaters. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like right. in exactly. every other place, humanity is acknowledged to be this solid thing where we can all understand each other. Sure, you have a different lived experience. What but I, was, I have things that I can bring up that I can compare to and find commonality with. And I can at least get an idea if I don't know exactly what you went through. I can empathize with you and we can move forward with a cobbled together understanding. I totally Except get when it comes saying. to race. When race, you're in a bubble because you have privileges that they don't have and therefore you can you never from understand ever understanding it's like being what a, they're going for. It's like being a Chicago Bulls fan during the Jordan era. You didn't give a fuck about any other team and what they were going through outside of the fact that, hey, you know, there was no outside of my bubble when it comes to being a fan of this of the Chicago Bulls during the Jordan era. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you, you didn't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? You know, and, and if you're winning, you don't care about the losers. You so know, we talked a little bit about like, you know, being a, an African American or, or being a white American, being a black American, like is the answer to this in some way, like a stronger sense of national pride? Like is the answer a stronger sense of, you know, being an American and coming together under the American band. I mean, because to me, that's what the melting pot was, right? I think I think it is. There's a problem with that, though. And the problem is when we get into culture, right? Because whenever you look at any country, the the, dom- the politically dominant race, their culture 
is going to be intertwined and so commingled with the mainstream culture of that country that it's, 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 it's practically makes no difference, you know, between the two. So is the answer, um, you know, going with nationalism and becoming more American, um, I would say no more so than it is going with the human race, like, like finding that common bond and understanding that that may matter more than the color of my skin versus the color of your skin right. is important for us ultimately. Um, but we, you know, we got to be careful because again, American culture has been, you know, for 200 some odd years has been, you know, largely dominated by white people. Now the beauty is, is that it's, it's starting not to be, I mean, think about, <laughs> think about where uh, hip hop culture was uh, when I was six and look at it now. Mm-hmm. Hip hop culture is mainstream. Yeah. Absolutely. It's absolutely mainstream. When I was a kid, uh, cop killer, you know, ice tea and stuff and, and, and uh, uh, NWA and, and, and all that shit. It was very much so uh, outside frowned upon, looked down on, and now it's moved into the mainstream. Now, of course, some people are going to argue that it's been appropriated. Right. <laughs> but to me, I mean, that's, that's the end goal. Like uh, why, how do, how would I ever make the case that I don't, uh, let's see, Charles Dickens is white, right? So like, how would I ever make the case that I don't want black people to read Charles Dickens? You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's ridiculous. <laughs> or write right? or write fiction. I want the entire world to enjoy Charles Dickens, right? So the idea that uh, there was a story, and it's one of the things that drove there, me batshit. Hang enough. on just okay, a second. Yeah, yeah. There was these two chicks who lived in Oregon. I said chicks. I'm probably going to get slammed for that, among other things today. But anyway, uh, they lived in Oregon, and they took a trip down to Mexico. All right? Now, they went off into the the backwoods of Mexico. Like, uh, I think they were in the Yucatan or something like that. And they went to this village and they found um, these these sweet little, you know, older Mexican ladies. And they watched them and they were making tortillas. And uh, and, the, and the two, you know, white girls from Oregon, they were like, oh, wow, that's that's these are delicious, you know. And the little Mexican ladies were like, here, this is how we make them. All right taught them how to make tortillas authentically from the Yucatan. Yeah. These two girls go back to Oregon. All right. They open a restaurant, sells tacos using that tortilla recipe. It becomes the toast of Portland, right? Like people were just, so anyway, <laughs> this art, this, this magazine that is like, uh, uh, you know, like we have here, like tops and Lex, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like a cultural like a magazine for Portland. Mm-hmm. does an interview with them. And in the interview, they're like, Oh, we got this tortilla recipe from these little old ladies down in the Yucatan, right? Mm-hmm. That restaurant was closed within like six months because people freaked out, started protesting. These girls had culturally appropriated this this godforsaken tortilla recipe <laughs> from these little old ladies. How dare they? Uh, this is white privilege at its at its worst. They're profiting oh, off the. Geez. Oh my God, man! I mean, the, here's here are human beings. You know, sharing and interacting, like you know, and, yeah. and 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 loving each other. Like when you're, you teach somebody how to make tortillas, man. Yeah, like dude. that's that's love. You're in their kitchen, and and we're gonna hate that and shit on it and and punish it. Drove these girls out of business, man. It, you're keeping everybody. You're saying that everybody's in a bubble, and then you're and then you're, you're trying to force them down into that bubble and never let them out. And it's also a way to weaponize terms like cultural appropriation 
in order to use them to fit your your agenda. Right. So you can so you can you can use it's kind of like when we go back and talk about uh, saying someone's a suspected racist. You know, when you have control over who is uh, culturally appropriating or who is, uh, you know, a suspected racist, then it becomes a tool. You can point it at people you disagree with and automatically discredit them using the idea of cultural appropriation. So, uh, you know, these two these two girls um, probably did not apply in this case, but say they were they were political enemies. Um you know, your, your political enemy could now say, oh, well, we have this example of cultural appropriation totally shut you down because of it. And your base is just going to accept it. They're not going to think through what is cultural appropriation. Well, was it, you know, uh, is he a racist? Is he not? No, you just say he's a racist. Right. I think it you're be- the arbiter. You become the arbiter of who is and who is not culturally appropriate. Exactly. And it, it, I mean, in my opinion... I think it would be very hard to to pinpoint exactly what is cultural appropriation when culturally the world is so integrated. Oh, sure. So, I mean, mm-hmm. take, for example, these two girls. If they had told the old ladies that taught them to make tortillas that they were uh, going to turn it into a business, would that have mattered? Right. Would that have all of a sudden made it not cultural appropriation? Well, I don't know. Really, it doesn't matter because... Cultural appropriation is used as a tool to dismantle things. I mean, it's that's that's what it is. It's not a tool to build, right? And and I think that's where we've got to we've got to come together at some point and that's start. Why be, that's why it becomes a weaponized term, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At some point, I mean, sure, we have to dismantle systems of oppression and racism. There's no question about that. The, the way we do that um, is. That's what the ultimate question is. Uh, and, and a lot of the tools that are being used right now, I feel like, enshrine the system of oppression and racism. Well, I, I would argue that the reason that happens is because of the enemy they're trying to fight, right? Like here, here just a minute ago, we were talking about the nature of the systemic racism that's being faced by black people, right? In my opinion... You know, we talked in the justice episode about the the uh, conviction rates, you know, looking at similar crimes. No question. There it is. There's systemic racism. Right. But their definition of why it's happening, my definition of why it's happening are, are very different. They believe that, again, white people are innately raceless. You know, there's implicit bias in all that they do. Therefore, whether it's overt and intentional or what have you, it is a system where any white person that you put into power is going to start to form, coalesce, aid, abet, whatever you want to call it, the systemic racist machine. Uh, Whereas I think it more amounts to individual people in positions of power who, you know, happen to be white. That's right. And they are racist or they have some of those ideas or they aren't looking at biases that they're not inspecting and checking privileges. Yeah, there's see, there's a world of difference between those two concepts. There's a world of difference between me saying that the D.A. of Fayette County is not looking at his privilege and is incapable of escaping his privilege. There's there's a world of difference between saying that um, he's not looking to respectfully honor cultures when he interacts with their, you know, cultural norms and, and, and so forth and can't do it. 
Right. And so because of his innate racism. Right. And we want to paint uh, this 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 image or at least, you know, some on the left do, and, and even some on the right. Um, you know, the, the those same people that we talked about a while back here who, you know, argue for that white ethno state, they're making the same arguments. They're saying, well, yeah, yeah, no, there's systemic racism because there's always going to be so long yeah. as you put the two because we're racist together. as fuck. And I don't know how that's any different than the case that the left's making. They're saying if you put these two races together, this is going to happen. Right. And that's bullshit. We, we, if we're going to go anywhere, we got to be better than that. Because at that point, the only thing that you're left with is the ethno state. Is fractured I mean, yeah. ethno state. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so like, so that's rejected out of hand, right? So I think moving forward, I think the only way that we can move forward is right at this, the top of this episode, we were talking about how race is practically useless. There are points and places and, and charts where we're going to need to apply it. We're going to need to mm-hmm. look at conviction rates. Mm-hmm. We're going to need to look at this. But in your interpersonal life, don't you know treat other people uh, any differently than you would you know treat them for their merits. Do not, under any circumstances, let their race factor into your decisions. And if we do that, which I think we've been doing for quite some time. Yeah, I think, I mean, would you agree... Laron, that uh, race relations have improved in the last, say, twenty years. Oh, absolutely. And I, and to suggest that to suggest that it hasn't only enforced the uh, the uh, agenda of the black nationalists, the the uh, the extreme black nationalists, black nationalists and pro blacks, and the political left. You know, because they use these things to attack uh, uh, the uh, the political right. You know, and um, and at the same time, we have to understand that it, it that 2018 is not 1934. Right. You know, right. we've come a and, long and way. We've come right? a very long way, and you have to understand to say, see, we have to put a, a real context to this idea. Uh, uh, to this idea of racism, you cannot understand racism outside the socio-political construct. You know, if if you try to understand it outside of anything else, that right there, you you're you're gonna bring confusion amongst yourself and, and others. You're gonna you're gonna bring forth confusion. And what I'm saying to you is, if we haven't if we haven't gotten better you wouldn't have this, uh, the Supreme Court Civil Rights Movement uh, ruling of 1866. You wouldn't have uh, uh, Dred Scott versus Sanford overturned. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, th- there's so many examples out there that show you that that as far as systematic racism goes, we have come a long way. And dismantling the structure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a lot of so-called white people had their hands and fingers in that pie. So it's funny. In, in, the, in, in, in helping the plight uh, uh, of the disenfranchised in here in America of, of all so-called races, but including the so-called black man, woman, and child here in America. So to say that all all white people are innately racist. It's absurd and does not go to the heart of the matter of system of systematic racism. 
Right. Right. I tend to agree. Um, so if we're to move forward in any way, you know, like, like theory mentioned, what's, what's the answer? I feel like when I try to step into a black man's shoes and I think about, um, you know, being born into maybe a poor neighborhood, um, with, with low education, say, say I'm born into a neighborhood in Chicago, you know, a ghetto in Chicago. Um, it's hard for me to say at that point, like, oh, well, let's just work forward from here, you know? Well, that's easy, you know? You didn't draw the short stick. So as someone who who, who drew the short stick, um, you know, I, I, I feel like reparations may be an important, an important starting point to say, like, okay, well, let's even the playing field. If we agree that systematic racism has, you know, affected black people historically and we can trace it back you know since the inception then then why not why not pay them back why not put us on a level playing field what do you what do you think about reparations i mean is that i think reparations is a uh very complex um conversation a very complex topic um Maybe we're not prepared for it today, but I would say that um, a form of reparations at this point of modern understanding of who we are as a as a people and as so-called black people. I said that right is is very dangerous because for one we have the numbers and, and you know I don't I don't try to sugarcoat anything and it feels like I am at this point in time but our spending habits our um our um our economic unity as far as so-called black people goes in America, it's very poor. So you're saying maybe monetary reparations are, but that's funny because monetary I, reparations. Because when I think about it, a, and, I, and I so good idea, and I right toss now. it around, I feel like there there are plenty of other ways um, that we could, you know, even the playing field, if you will. What about zero interest government backed home loans? Uh, what about uh, no taxes on business income for 10 years, maybe a generation, hell, two generations. Um, you know, what about incentives or privileges mm. that would, that would kind of turn around and not, not in a huge way, not say, you know, all $40,000 in your bank account. Um, but incentives to get, to gain ground within the system. So would reparations for, so reparations will be paid because the acknowledgement of the transatlantic slave trade, yeah, the government's involvement and the, in, and in the transatlantic the slave trade, or or, or Americas, Americas, because there was also private corporations involved as well. But um, I think it would be much easier to go after the private corporations than the government. But that's that's just my opinion. Um, 
reparations because of a uh, atrocity that we feel was committed that, that has we've seen in history that it has been paid before by the U- United States. Oh, the government. United States has paid out reparations hmm. in several cases. Yes, yeah, so we paid out uh, to people who were uh, in Japanese internment camps, for example. Now, in in that case, you know, they paid out they paid out to Japanese Americans who were placed in internment camps. Now, could you pay off, could you pay reparations to a people and also ensure that systematic racism will not be in practice while the spending of this reparation money is occurring? <laughs> Cause you know, you're dealing with, if you're dealing with real estate, the real estate markets in, in some, in some uh, suburban so-called white neighborhoods, if one White family that could be a well-to-do black family. Uh, doctor, doctor, mother, uh, lawyer, mother, and a doctor, father. The Cosby family, mm-hmm. and you know that neighborhood goes down in in value because that one family moved in. Would that be considered a practice of systematic racism? Absolutely. And would it be I in think play would... while this reparations is being given out? Because if you give out reparations and not fix the problem of systematic racism, then you then the money is spent and we still have racism. Right. You make a, a really good point. And I, I think from my point of view, the way we fix systematic racism is by fixing racist people, right? So if that property assessor who made the decision to devalue the property based on, uh, you know, a black resident? Mm. If that person isn't uh, isn't racist, next time that next time that uh, that cycle rolls around and we rehire, mm-hmm. then then goal accomplished. Exactly. You said that. Um, who was it? Mark Twain said. Um, Oh, I wanted to prepare that quote and I totally forgot. Um, but he basically said that that travel is the antidote to racism. And and that's it. I, I, and w- what does travel bring? Discovery. Yes. Know? The and experience w- of new people. Exactly. You can't, you can't be racist against someone that you've sat down and had a meal and a drink with. It's like the guy. It's like the the guy who went and talked to the black guy who went and talked to all the KKK members, right? Mm-hmm. And turned. Who, what was yeah, that guy's he, name? Yeah, he turned like three hundred KKK. Oh God, I got to get the guy's name. We'll but put he, it in the show notes, folks. He turned three hundred Ku Klux Klan members. Into friends, and and they den- they denounced their involvement with the Klan. They denounced. They dropped their memberships, and they gave all their robes and regalia, their Klan regalia, to this black man. So there's a black man somewhere with 300 Klan robes in his in his attic. If not more, he has 300. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. Talk about a war trophy, man. But but here we go again. Now, the black, the the pro-black idea has has made this guy ostracized. Let really? Me, let me say this again. People who consider themselves pro-black heard this same story and ostracized the guy. The black how, man, the so-called on what black basis? man. On what basis? How could you even how could you even attack that? It absolutely makes no fucking sense to me because if you consider yourself uh 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 Okay, let's 
you let's let's say you just for some reason just consider yourself proud to be black. Okay. And you you really have no education behind this. You really have no book book knowledge behind this uh, assertion. You, but you but you feel this way, and and you also feel that uh, the the Klan Ku Klux Klan is a bad thing, bad member, uh, bad organization, right? How could it not be a good thing to know that a black man, a so called black man, was able to sit down and converse with 300 <laughs> clan members and make them drop their membership. How is that not a good thing? It's only a good thing if there are people who use the fear of white supremacy as a tool it's only a bad thing. You mean. Yeah, there are people out there that use the the I, this they use uh, uh, the the big bad wolf scenario with every so called white person in America, and they want to scare you in order to promote their agendas and get funding for their documentaries mm-hmm. that's filled with half truths, you know. And they push the narrative of be afraid of this boogeyman, be afraid of the so-called white man instead of understanding each other and coming together. So, yes, whenever you hear that a, a man, a black man was able to sit down with 300 clan members and find commonality. You should be proud of we that. We should celebrate. That's, should like, celebrate absolutely. That. That's like a new wonder of the world to me. In fact, like that we should have statues of this man sitting. I think ultimately that's, that's going to go a lot farther than, than reparations are. And I think the reason is, is that reparations try to, you know, rectify a wrong from, from a long time ago. But the problem is, you put a monetary bandage on a, on a gaping. Well, it's it's not even about that. The problem is the impact it has on the situation going forward. Right. So in a sense, uh, now uh, everyone, everyone who is in that class that's going to be receiving that rep, that, those reparations are in effect being told that that is absolutely the case. You are completely being shit on and you have no way of climbing out of that unless Here's your we help ladder. you out with, with this ladder and this stuff, you know, and it's, it's true. We, you know what I'm saying? Like we have to help. We have to find ways to help them climb out. Um, but I think that I, I'm not sure if the, the connotations around reparations, the, the hearkening back to original sin mm-hmm. and stuff that it does, I'm not sure that that doesn't turn into, uh, you know, stuff like what we've talked about with like cultural appropriate, where the, the division widens, uh, the resentment, you know, uh, on, on one side and the, I can't quite call it a a sense of entitlement necessarily, but I want you to think about what happens and what um, coalesces around uh, the welfare state, for instance. I want you to think about, on one hand, like I'm saying, the resentment that's coming from, from white America towards black America over the welfare state. And then on the other side of it, there are people amongst the black community who feel like, there is no way out 
other than welfare. That's right. They feel hopeless and helpless. Now, there's other things that contribute to it. And, oh, yeah. Assuredly. Mainly. So what I'm saying is if we. Economically. If we. Absolutely. You get but, a job and, and you're $200 short above your welfare check after working for 40 hours a week. That sucks. Yeah. Right. Um, but if we. So if we go through and, and we institute these reparations. Right. Two things have happened. For one, we've acknowledged that uh, it's on white America that we are all guilty of the original sin. Even those who came of, here from Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. Even post-transatlantic slave trade. Yeah, secondly, post-transatlantic. And secondly, we've only reinforced and doubled down on the idea that Afri- you know, African-Americans, you, you cannot get ahead unless we're there to help you out. So let me ask you, in 20 years, if we don't have this shit straightened out and things still haven't improved, what happens? Mm-hmm. You got to do it again because you acknowledge that it's on you. I would also ask what the hell is going to happen with native American people. Once you start issuing reparations, see you, somebody brought up uh, the Japanese internment. Mm-hmm. And what's important to note there is that the people who got reparations for Japanese internment were still alive. That was 1980 versus the internment happened in 1940. So we're, you know, it was, it was either, uh, uh, people who, you know, actually it was the living survivors of Japanese internment mm-hmm. who were paid that money. Mm-hmm. So if we open up not only our entire history, but, you know, what will that inspire around the world? But if we start opening up history to be reexamined on that basis and say, well, you know, uh, you owe me money for this and, and you owe me money for this. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Check this out. My people were came over on the boat from Ireland. Right. They started out as uh, some of them started out as indentured servants. You know, it is, it is slavery. It's just a period of seven years. Some of them didn't. But it's well documented that there were no Irish need apply signs all over the place. You know, it was really hard for Irish people to get work. Now, there's and in very some little, places there's and in some places, black slaves were worth more than Irish. Absolutely. Now, there's very little comparison going forward because Irish people were able to you know, just assimilate and hide, you know, in the, the, the white majority right. by losing name. the accent, Anglicanizing their name and yeah, everything like that. O. So I'm not, I'm not making a direct comparison. I'm just saying. So when I was born, all right, my uh, paternal grandma told my biological father that if he had anything to do with me, um, because I was, because my mom was Irish and my, my mom's family is poor Irish trash that she would cut him off. And he ultimately decided not to be in my life mm-hmm. over that choice. Right. So there you go. Do I get a claim? You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Cause that's, that's like you asked earlier, you know, does, does white privilege affect white people too? And in this case, like white supremacy absolutely has a detrimental effect on the lesser white people. Exactly. Like, yes. The, even yeah. within the system of white, white people shitting on white people. Exactly. Heads. The, 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 this, um, the, uh, Odin Aryan idea of, of whiteness is blonde, blonde eyes. I mean, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the apex white, uh, the apex white man, the apex white woman. Well, where do the, the, the white men and the white women with brown hair, brown eyes or green eyes fall into play? Uh, you know, uh, 
red hair or uh, brown hair, you know, where do they fall into play? And, and, and which gives, and also it leads to my theory about race war. I mean, a race war would be completely insane. It would be absolutely bananas. But before we get too far away from it, I want to say, if you look at, you know, if you look at world history, American history, there are all kinds of people that we have disenfranchised, pissed off, killed off. Um, how, that's what I would say to you. Caesar so if, murdering the Gauls. If we, if we give reparations for slavery, when the Native American tribes come and say, okay, it's time to honor these treaties, and we want this land and this land and this land, what I would like to hear is the argument that you give to them for why that one is okay and this one is not. Well, maybe the kind of universal law of conquering. I mean, how did we come about the slaves? We bought them. From people who conquered. That's true, but we're holding the people who bought them accountable? I mean, if we're talking about a system of buy and sell, Mm -hmm. who's accountable is the person who took the slave and sold it, right? I mean... At at the time, it was an accepted business practice to to buy and sell slaves. But they you were, can make you can make that argument all the way up until eighteen sixty five by people in power. But you you can right. make that argument all the way up until eighteen sixty five in the United States of America. It was an accepted business practice. So why are you paying out reparations? Hmm. Hmm. You make an interesting point. <laughs> uh, and to me, none of that really matters. Because at some point we've got to, we have to do something to, to right the wrong. And we do. If you're in the position of someone who's been told that you've been wronged in this way, whether, whether it's true or not, it is true to more, more extent than it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a block in front of you. You have to remove that block somehow. You don't get to just say, oh, well, forget about it. You know what I'm saying? You don't get to. There's not, who's- imagine... Imagine being in that in that position. Well, I would say who's saying forget about it? nobody's nobody's saying forget about it. There's a different. I want to remove the block. I absolutely want to remove the block. I want to get it out of the way going forward. Yeah. You're saying that we have to go back and address the block of the past. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm saying like, you know, that's we, what justice is, right? Yeah. I well, mean, if, if, if you operate on the principle of an eye for an eye, but is that really where not we, necessarily an eye for an eye? Yeah. No, I mean, that is you're saying that recompense is needed for that injustice. Yeah, but it's not a zero sum game. So the way I see it is you don't have to give monetary reparations where, say, the taxpayer pays. Right. It well, comes that, out of how the you give it to it pocket. doesn't matter. It's, it's recompense is what I'm getting at. You're saying that recompense is owed for a past injustice. Well, that's sure. That's why we imprison people for murder. Right. And it's why you go to jail for assault, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I know, but I'm saying, so that is a trend. That is something that we're trying to trend away from in society, is it not? Putting people in jail for murder? Yeah, well, right. So you want harsher and stiffer penalties on people for, you know, assault, right? Like you want... No, I think le- overall we're doing pretty well. You want... <laughs> I mean, as far as, yeah, you, you, you murder someone, you go to jail for 20 years, I'm down with that. <clears throat> well, murder, but I'm saying we're trying to get less punitive, are we not? For for small crimes, yes, but that's yes. a different thing. I'd say for drug crimes, for nonviolent offenses, sure. Right. But as far as violent offenses go? Well, we're, we're, getting, we're getting a little sidetracked, but what I'm getting at is forgiveness 
and 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 you know again moving forward together is what we're shooting for and what you want to do is you want to once again identify and separate with that policy in my opinion hmm. i see it more as uh if you if you had a feud with your neighbor this is grossly simplified mm-hmm. and you realized you were wrong and you you said some shit about him and his wife and he's real pissed off mm-hmm. but you still got to live with him mm-hmm. you don't go over to his house empty handed you bring your best cigar you bring a bottle of whiskey and you say, hey, let's have a smoke and a drink. That's all I'm saying. That's a, that's a fair point. I just I don't know if it if it carries out for reparations. I would say uh, a strong case uh, for reparations that has not been explored by the so-called uh, black man and woman here in America is the the. Uh, um, the possibilities of exploring dual citizenship. Okay. So like African and American citizenship? And, and and putting dual citizenship behind it. Would you like trace your lineage back to the, the country you came from and approach that country and and ask for citizenship? Like how would that how would that work? Uh, well I would say first you would have to have agreements with the nation states within the continent of Africa. Yeah. Um, that agreement would also uh, have to be accepted by the United States government. And... <laughs> what would be the benefits of it? Well, right. <laughs> okay, what what is the issue that... Um, so-called blacks here in America, what what are the issues that we're facing? Well, we're facing uh, the issues of of not being uh, included. You know, that's what we feel. We feel like we're not being included into the American idea, the American dream of uh, prosperity. And there's some forces uh, pulling the strings in order to uh, keep us disenfranchised. And we've lost our link. We've, we've somehow lost our link to, to our mother continent, our motherland, you know. So with dual citizenship, now we're testing, we're, we're testing your, uh, your gumption. You know what I'm saying? Are you willing to uh, take responsibility and say that you are, yes, American and yes, of African descent and that you're willing to use that bridge in order to create a a chain of commerce, trade, Mm -hmm. and economics on your own with people whom you call your people. And 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 build infrastructure and um, a strong economic base from that. I can dig it. Hmm. I can dig it. And that way, you know, there's no, um, there's no. Uh, okay, here here's your payment, little boy. Here's your payment, little girl. Now shut the fuck up about the whole situation. Yeah, never speak about it again. Because that's the other kind of dark side of reparations. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you know, and that's the thing. You know, we we have to. We have to understand our level of accountability. 
when it comes to the, the human condition and, and how we treat each other, you know, mm-hmm. to to uh, to blanket slavery as just 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 white sheet, you know, and, and it has no other color but white. You know, you know, is you have to understand that slavery is is a human condition. If you can find a, a point in history where so-called black people never had slaves or never had white slaves, uh, the, uh, the Turkish uh, uh, sub-Saharan slave trade. But if you, if, if you don't know anything about this, you're going to look at, uh, uh, you're going to look at this racism scheme one-sided. And there's always going to be one uh, ominous big bad boogeyman that you feel like you can never defeat. Yeah, and I think uh, we're grossly simplifying uh, a really complicated problem. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we're brave enough to have the conversation, and that's what we just ask people to do. We just ask everyone as adults, you know, and, you know, as young adults, you know, to have these conversations and be willing to speak on it, you know, and, and you know, I tell you what, man, from this side, it's, it's really not easy. I tell you what, I mean, I was, I was terrified to have this episode and honestly, because I was afraid I'd say something that might make me seem racist. You know, I would give the person on the other side that ammo to say, well, he's not a suspected racist anymore. Now we know it, you know? So like, it's a really hard conversation to have. And that's not to say, oh, it's hard to be a white man. Blah, blah, blah. No, that's just to say like, this is a difficult conversation. And and we're here having it on air for I would argue, know, potentially millions of people to yeah. listen to. So cut us some slack. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I would argue that, you know, many in the many in the political left would would uh would like it to be that way. You know, anytime a uh anytime a so called white man and anytime a so called white woman uh feel afraid to speak on the issues of race here in America uh, then they've ultimately uh, achieved their goal. And their goal is to uh, make you feel as if you have no say in this situation due to your privilege. And that's absurd, you know, because we've, we've, we've made a point that all pr- privilege is not the same down the board. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? So we've made that point clear, and I hope we made it clear. But that is the case, that privilege is not the same across the board. So therefore, you can't say that there's this all-encompassing white privilege that everyone has the card to that's, that's considered white. That is not true. Mm-hmm. So we just got to make sure that we put a, a, a real light to this situation. And, and it's, it's very complex, and it's something that we'll, we'll probably be talking about for generations. Man. I, w- I would hope, you know, with this show... You know, maybe, um, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe you go back, you listen to the tape. Maybe I did say some things that were problematic today. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. But the fact that we can sit here and talk about it and then learn from that. You know what I'm saying? I'm completely willing to learn from that. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm. I'm right. I'm not saying I'm wrong. I'm not saying you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong. You yeah. Know? But you're never going to find out if you don't sit down and talk about it. And if, um either side thinks that the other side is out to get them and and it's prevalent on both sides 
where they think that the other side is is out to get them in mm-hmm. some way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. That's true, you know. Uh, you know what, what we were talking about is the places where you do see that are are above most ordinary everyday people. You right. know, I, I really don't think, I honestly don't believe in my heart that most ordinary everyday people give a shit. Well, like, I, I, can, I, I don't, I, when, when I say give a race. shit. Yeah, about, about other people's races. I really don't. Because you, you see, you know, I mean, I, I can make a case even for uh, members of my family who grew up during the Depression who, you know, if, if you were to ask me, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, they they racist. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, when push come to shove and it was time to hire somebody into a job or something like that, they, I, I saw those same people hire black people. You know, I saw those same people, you know, do this or do that. I see uh, black people that say, um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to be anywhere near the white devil, you know, the, uh, to hell with white people, you know, da, da. and then you have something like, say, the World Trade Center comes down or or say there's like, you know, the, the the bridge in San Francisco collapsed when they had that earthquake and shit. And what do you see? You see black people, white people, red people, brown people, all them people are there helping out. Rebuilding so he quickly goes right the fuck out the window. And so I, I just this that that view that we've all got hate somewhere deep down and that that we're all this person is always going to do this and that person is always going to do that. You might as well go back to what we originally dismantled, which was the scientific, you know, the attempted scientific definition of race. Like and how that, useless it it's really useless. is. The meaning. Just, just toss it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and if if you get anything out of this episode, you got three guys just trying to figure it out. And you know we've we've read some things. We've we've seen the history. We've seen the uh, historical dates. And now we're just trying to you know wrestle with the ideas. And um. There's nothing wrong with that because if we don't talk about it, then we're going to be manipulated to think that, you know, it can never be defeated. And that's my whole point. I know that racism can be defeated with a true understanding of what race and what racism is. Well, I hate to break it to you, but uh, the only people getting defeated today are us three. Because I'm pretty sure Beans is about to rip us. Oh apart. my God. What do we give him? We almost gave him like two hours worth of shit to pour through and just eviscerate us. Wee. Wow, buddies. You kept me away from my door and fans for two whole hours. It's a bold choice, fellas, but it shouldn't be an issue if you guys successfully pulled off a heartfelt, thought provoking, and insightful episode on race that didn't dog whistle in the first 10 minutes by bringing up the 100 meter dash. Oh. Oh, oh, oh yeah, it's 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 you two. Of course you did. Well, damn boys, I don't even know which way to go from here. You got racist ass sense saying he's colorblind out the gate, or theory going dead silent for fifteen minutes. Geez, fellas, were you uncomfortable? Hmm. What was different about this episode that would put you guys on edge? I wonder. Speaking of our first guest. He brought tidings of peace for everyone but your old buddy Beanzo, and subsequently finds himself on this list. Leron, 
You at one point referenced our so-called black listeners. Setting aside senses reasonable and non-hyperbolic claims of millions of people listening to the show, I would point out that you probably are our so-called black listeners. Theory? Dancing around your white privilege wasn't enough? You gonna call two grown, successful businesswomen chicks so we can throw in some male privilege on top of it? But hey, go big or go home, like Daryl Davis did. The guy was able to convert 200 KKK members to reject the white supremacist ideology. You're only off by 100, Lebron. On this show, that'll get you a Pulitzer. And finally, you fellas glossed over what I think is the finest Mark Twain quote of all time. And for a man known for his quotes, that's saying something. The actual quote is, Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. And many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth for all one's lifetime. But yeah, you know, travel kills racism. Fellas, back to you. What was he talking about? You didn't say peace to beans. You- I don't know what's wrong with the button pusher, but... I mean, I think he's a part of the human family. I said peace to the human family. No, yeah. no. You know what? He's not a part of the human family. No, nope. no. He's a fact checking machine. Or no, no. A couple weeks ago, he told us he was a goddamn bird, didn't he? Uh huh. Hey, Whatever. It's, it's not like I caught him a baboon's ass. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Laron, is there uh, anything else you want to say to the world before we before we go? Yeah, man. Um. I appreciate you guys letting me on your show. You know, uh, I think the show is very informative. Um, It opens up the uh, possibility of discussion and more discussion. So, and that's what it's going to take, man. It's going to take us just talking this shit out until we figure it out, you know. So, with that being said, I'm going to leave you guys with one quote. And it's from Bobby Seale, a leader of the Black Panther Party and a black nationalist. He says, you don't fight racism with racism. The best way to fight racism is with solidarity. I definitely couldn't have said that better myself. Uh, And real quick, before we go, I've just got one quick question I have to get off my chest. Oh, yeah, we'd be absolutely remiss if we didn't ask this. Come on, man. So what are your thoughts on Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift? Man, she can't even hold Shakira's diamond-encrusted stilettos. Oh, ho, ho! Hey, folks, it's Theory of the Sins and Theory Podcast. Just wanted to take a second to thank you for continuing to listen and support the show. We really appreciate it. It means the world to us. Uh, if you get a chance, please go to iTunes, leave us a review, uh, like us. Uh, you know, it really helps the podcast uh, take off. And, uh, you know, get at us on the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're at all the usual places. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to email us at uh, senseandtheorypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, show ideas, suggestions, critiques, uh, condemnations, it's all good. Send it our way. Uh, we'll see you next week.